we must see to it that our walk is only in Christ, a walk of forgiveness and victory. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you for your word, that it is true, that it is objective truth, that it is your word, that the whole of Scripture is inspired. And every word of it is for our edification. And so today, Father, may we come to this passage in your word. May we receive it as you speaking to us through the Apostle Paul. Bless us. Give us a high view of Scripture. Continue to give us a high view of Scripture that we might walk only in Christ, a walk of forgiveness and victory, a walk that pleases you. In his name we pray. Amen. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. Now the word of God. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in trespasses and uncircumcision of the flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Walking through the Arab quarter of the old city of Jerusalem a number of years ago, while Renee and I were on a trip to Jerusalem, we were really uh, quite amazed it was chaotic, it was crowded, it was noisy. There were all sorts of distractions. In particular, merchants were coming into the alleyway asking us to come in and buy this or eat that or drink that. I did drink the Turkish coffee, which I really enjoyed. I mean, it was just chaos. It was very difficult to make any progress on our walk through the Arab quarter. There were so many distractions. At times it was confusing. It seemed like everybody was trying to lead us astray in the shop, some shop to uh, be tricked into buying this, that, or the other. Our experience in walking through the Arab quarter in the old city of Jerusalem helps me understand Paul's concern for the Colossians. They were not walking through the old city of Jerusalem, but they were living in this world. And who else is living in this world? You and me. 
Paul's concern for them is Paul's concern for us today. Paul understood the peril that they face and that we face in walking through and in this world being bombarded with all sorts of false philosophies and false belief systems. Thus far in our series on the book of Colossians, we have looked at the Apostle Paul's prayer in chapter 1 where he gave thanks for the Colossians' walk, but then he prayed that they would grow and mature in walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And then he declared in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, that the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord of creation and of redemption. In other words, what you need to know, Colossians, and folks here at Covenant Presbyterian Church, in order to, to walk in a way that is worthy, worthy of the Lord, we need to embrace the truth of Scripture. Jesus is creator. Jesus is the redeemer. And then last week, we considered Paul's mission. His, his mission is related to what he's already said in the, book of, in the letter to the Colossians. Paul's desire, his mission was to present everyone mature in Christ so that they would walk worthy of the Lord, that they would stand firm on the truth about Christ and his gospel so that no one may delude them with plausible arguments. Paul knew very well that the Colossians, though they had a strong beginning, they would be challenged in their walk. And so he comes to them in light of the, the threat of these false teachers bearing down upon the church in Colossae. He comes to them with these words in verses 6 through 15 where he encouraged them in three ways to walk only in Christ. Base or anchor your walk, your life, your ministry, your thinking, your worldview, and the gospel truths that you have already heard and learned from Epaphras and speaking in Paul's uh, uh, position, and from me, Paul, Paul would say. Walk according to Christ. Our walk should be based in Christ, number one. Number two, he calls them not to be taken captive by all of these philosophies that are, by the way, empty deceit. And then thirdly, he calls them to walk according to Christ because Christ is God incarnate. He is, the, he is God incarnate and glorified. So we'll look at these three things. Walk in Christ. Walk only in Christ. Do not be taken captive. See to it that you're not taken captive. And the reason that we're able to walk in Christ is because he is God. He is over all rule and authority. So let's look firstly then, the only basis for our walk is in the Lord Jesus Christ, verses 6 and 7. So Paul called the Colossians, he calls us to make sure that they're basing and continuing to base their lives, their walk, their, their manner of living 
only in the truth of the gospel, only in those truths that they had heard from Epaphras, from the Apostle Paul, the central truth, Paul says, is that Jesus is Lord, the Lordship of Christ, verse 6. Paul has already declared that Jesus is Lord back in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, that Jesus is the Lord of creation and he is the Lord of redemption. Now he exhorts the believers to continue embracing that profession of faith in Jesus as Lord, that their very manner of life might be rooted in it and founded upon it. Paul is saying to you and me, make sure that you keep on basing and anchoring your walk, your faith, your manner of life, your worldview only in the truths that you have heard and learned according to the inerrant and authoritative word of God, the Bible, God's objective truth that he has given to us through the prophets and the apostles, his chosen instruments. Paul uses imagery. He uses the imagery of horticulture. He uses the imagery of constructing a building to emphasize this exhortation. The Colossians were rooted in him as a tree is planted and its roots begin to spread out and, and to deepen. Paul says you were rooted in Christ when you heard the gospel from Epaphras, when by God's grace you came to faith. Now he says continue to be rooted in him, continue to be founded upon Christ. Don't give up studying the Bible and learning about Jesus. And then he says, upon that firm foundation, the believer, the church is to be built up, built up in him. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, rooted and built up in him. That is how a believer becomes established in the faith as Paul says here in verses 6 and 7. And here's the point, Paul's point, my point for us today. Jesus is the only reliable foundation. He will never give way as our foundation. We can always count on him as our foundation. Keep him, Paul says, as the basis and foundation of your walk and listen only him. The slippery slope describes the, prog the progression of a believer, of a session, of a presbytery, of a general assembly, of a pastor, of a ruling elder, of a deacon, of a church member, not heeding Paul's admonition and exhortation here. Our old denomination, the Presbyterian Church, the United States, the old Southern Church, as 
it is called, did not start out liberal. It started out committed to the infallibility and the inerrancy of Scripture. Some of our greatest theologians here in America were part of that old denomination, which was at one time faithful. But over time, seminaries, pastors, ruling elders, presbyteries, and church members, a little bit at a time, began compromising the truth. They began giving way, not seeing to it that they walked only in Christ. And a little bit at a time, error began to creep in. The slippery slope of compromise, sadly, is the story of so many Christians, so many churches, so many denominations, because they do not heed the warning and exhortation that Paul gives right in this passage we're looking at today, to walk only in Christ, be rooted in him, be founded upon him, and in nothing else. And once the slippery slope of compromise begins, history shows us it is hard to stop it. We must continue walking, basing, and anchoring our walk, including anchoring and basing our ministry here at Covenant in the truths learned according to Scripture. That is the truth once for all delivered for the saints from the very mouth of God. You may ask, how? How are we to ensure and keep pressing on by walking in Christ, basing our walk in Christ and Christ alone? Well, here's how. We have resources here at Covenant for each one of us to continually be rooted and more rooted, built up and more built up, established and more established in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our confession of faith is such a resource. Our confession of faith is not the inerrant word of God, but it is a faithful guide to help us understand rightly and consistently the truths put forth in the word of God. The historic creeds of the Christian faith are a guide to keep us centered on the truths declared in the word of God. And the teaching and preaching ministries of this church are a resource for all of us to keep on walking in Christ, being further rooted and built up and established in him. If you are not walking in Christ and you are flailing about, I want to lovingly say this, there's no excuse. You have resources here in your church 
where availing yourself of those resources, men's Bible study, women's Bible study, Sunday school, coming to worship, counseling, whatever it may be, you have resources that will be your help to do exactly what the Apostle Paul calls you to do here in this passage. The question is, are you availing yourself of those resources? May we continue to be rooted, built up, and established in the only basis for our walk, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you one way you will know if you are being and continuing to be rooted, built up, and established in Christ. And here it is. Paul gives it to us at the end of verse 7. Abounding with thankfulness. It's what William prayed earlier in his offertory prayer. Secondly, there are dangerous threats to our walk in Christ. Paul called the believers in Colossae to be on guard, to be vigilant, so that they would not be taken captive by anything that is not in line or that is out of accord with Christ. Look at verse 8. Recently, I sat through a seminar about cybersecurity, and the, the, one of the main points of the presenter in this seminar was about ransomware. And ransomware is this digital, well, it's ransomware. I'm not savvy enough to explain all the nuances on it. I know I don't want it, and you don't want it either. But basically, through, for example, opening up an email, you don't know who this person is, they send you an email, you open it up, and there's a link. Click this, and you'll get a $20 gift certificate from Amazon. Or Walmart. I don't know, Amazon or Walmart. And so you go, oh, fantastic, click it, boom. Well, then through that link, somehow or another, that ransomware is introduced to your computer system, and it, <laughs> it takes all your data captive. Jason, am I explaining this halfway right? He's our expert here. And then what do you do? Well, you've got to pay some money, they, they, they tell you, in order to get the key to unlock the thing, which I'm told sometimes doesn't work. Just think of Colonial Pipeline here recently, where they had a ransom wear attack. So, so we know we don't want that. I mean, if my data gets compromised, it's going to be really hard for me, but you're not really going to suffer. But I tell you what, there are some systems here in our country, if the data gets ransomware, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. So there's a lot of risk with, with this, this business about ransomware. But I'll, I'll tell you this, as, as difficult as it is, it's even more dangerous for you and me to get kidnapped by an empty, deceitful philosophy or a false religious system. Look at verse 8. Paul warns of the potential for believers being taken captive by philosophy, empty deceit. And Paul tells us that these philosophies are empty deceit because of three things. They're based on human tradition, just think of humanism, and not God's word. They're 
based on elemental spirits, that is worldly dogma, pagan religion, demonic spirits, evil rulers and authorities, and not those things that transcend this world, heavenly realities. And then thirdly, these philosophies are empty deceit ultimately because they're not according to Christ. Now, Paul's not condemning all philosophy here, but he is saying that those that are empty deceit, any belief system, any teaching, any worldview that is not in accord with Christ is ultimately from Satan and not God. And we should be cautious and on guard. We should see to it that we're not taken captive by, by these philosophies. So, so Jason Ray, Deuteronomy 5, 32 through 33, you shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. That's what Paul is saying here in this passage. Stay centered on Christ. Keep walking in Christ. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. Stay on course. And don't buy into all of these distractions and these philosophies that are promising much and never deliver that will actually lead you off the path and lead you astray. A harm that has eternal consequences. Being taken captive means to be enslaved. Paul says this in Galatians 4.3. In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. So, hey, we know what it's like to be enslaved to something that's not according to Christ. We were before we came to Christ. We were enslaved to the sin nature. Enslaved, Paul says in Galatians, to these elemental principles, these worldly, this humanism, whatever it, it might be. So Paul warns, see to it, that you do not be enslaved, captivated by anything that is not according to Christ Jesus. And what is the best way for you and me to see to it that we're not taken captive by these empty, deceitful philosophies? Yet we're to pray, absolutely. We're to trust God, absolutely. But we also are to give ourselves to know the truth about Jesus. To know the truth about Jesus, to know the gospel so well that when the empty, deceitful philosophy starts raising its little ugly head, when we hear something and we go, wait a minute, we would automatically be able to say, that's not according to Christ. That is a half-truth or an untruth. So, for example... When the Jehovah's Witness seeks to deceive you or me, to take us captive by their lie, and what is their lie? Simply put, their lie is that Jesus is not God. He is of a similar substance with the Father, but not the same. He is the first and best created being in all of creation. Jehovah's Witness is just a remake of an old heresy called Arianism. We know, we should know the truth so well that even with the slickest 
Jehovah's Witness presentation that we can see the lie because we know the truth so well. I fear that the Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, or whatever else false philosophy in some situations would have their day with believers, not because they are purporting the truth, they're purporting a lie, but it's because the believer doesn't know the truth. Sometimes even the ba basics of the personal work of Jesus Christ. We know the truth so well that we should readily see the falsehood. Keep on walking based on Christ, responding to that Jehovah's Witness that Jesus is the sovereign Lord of creation. Chapter 1, verses 15. The Creator who is, according to one of our creeds, the Nicene Creed, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, for us and for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again from he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. Do we know Jesus? Do we know the scriptures? Do we know the gospel so well that we can pick up the lie? The lie even jumps out at us because we know the truth. We have seen to it that we know Jesus. Jen Hatmaker, a popular, and I really hope she's not all that popular anymore, but I fear that she is. Popular speaker and author, once a darling in evangelical circles, came out in 2016 affirming the LGBTQ relationship, even calling such relationships holy. Sadly, Hatmaker embodies what the Apostle Paul is warning against here in verse 8. Being enslaved, being captivated by philosophies that are empty deceit based on humanism, based on demonic spirits, based on paganism, not in accord with Christ. And even sadder are the untold numbers of Christians who listen to her and embrace what she is saying because they don't know the truth. Are we seeing to it when we listen to Joel Osteen and a host of other prosperity preachers do we see to it in preparation for meeting a Jehovah's Witness one day or a Mormon or someone that has a very liberal and progressive view of Jesus and the church that is out of accord with Scripture? See to it. Know Jesus so well you will not be taken captive by philosophies 
that are empty of truth and are deceitful because they seek to enslave you to a lie from Satan. May we follow Proverbs 4, 25 through 27. May we keep our eyes on Jesus. I think this is what the proverb is saying. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. And third, Paul gives the powerful reason why believers should see to it and not be taken captive by these philosophies that are nothing more than empty deceit and walk according to Christ. The overarching reason Paul gives is in verse 9. Look at it. In Christ, the whole fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. I think what Paul has in mind here is that the incarnate and glorified Christ is God, deity. And this picks up Paul's declaration about Jesus in verses 15 through 23. Jesus is the Lord of creation and the Lord of redemption. We've looked at both of those in Paul's letter thus far. And then from this overarching reason why we should walk based on Christ, seeing to it that we're not being taken captive by all of these philosophies that are empty and deceitful, is results in three powerful realities. The first one is this. He says that the result of the deity of the incarnate and glorified Christ is that believers are filled in him to walk worthy. The first part of verse 10. Believers are filled with his presence and because of that we have everything that we need to walk and to see to it that we're walking according to Christ and not being taken captive. We're filled in him, Paul says. And then secondly, Paul gives another result of the deity of Christ. The believer is filled in him who is the head and all rule and authority. The second part of verse 10. Earlier Paul taught Jesus is the Lord of creation, chapter 1, verse 15, and as creator has all authority. We share in his rule and authority, verse 10b. His authority is described in terms of headship. He is the head, the absolute ruler over all, even the absolute ruler over those false teachers that are plaguing the church in Colossae. Paul encourages the Colossians, and he encourages us to walk in Christ confident and hopeful because he rules absolutely. His rule and authority. And then thirdly, the Apostle Paul says that, the, that we walk based on Christ because he is deity and that results in having a new life being forgiven and living in victory. So earlier the Apostle Paul taught Jesus is the Lord of redemption. 
and has reconciled sinners and all things to himself. Look back at chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Now in chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, Paul describes Jesus' redeeming and reconciling work using two metaphors, circumcision and baptism. And so this new life comes about by a circumcision made without hands, the circumcision of Christ, verse 11. So the outward act of circumcision in the Old Testament operated by pointing to a greater circumcision, the circumcision of Christ using Paul's term. And that greater circumcision is a spiritual and inward work whereby it's a spiritual act whereby that old nature, that body of flesh is put off, cut out, and we are made new in Christ Jesus. It refers to regeneration, made alive in Christ with a new nature. And then Paul uses that other metaphor, baptism, to show that we have died to living enslaved to that old nature under Adam. We've been buried with Christ in baptism and raised with him by faith to newness of life. And Paul's use of baptism here, as it is in Romans chapter 6, for example, is not referring to the sacrament, but it is referring to the irreversibility of that spiritual act of God giving us a new nature whereby he enables us to die to that old nature and being raised with Christ to a new life. And it is irreversible. That's the point that Paul is making. Once we've been made alive in Christ, we cannot be made unalive in Christ. That's terrible grammar, but that's the point. We've been brought out from under Adam, brought out from being enslaved to that old nature. And and, and we've been now united to Christ, raised with him to a new life, made alive. And just as a side note, it's not really a side note, but it's not critical to our discussion today, this text is a text that's, that's often used, and I think rightly so, to show that baptism replaces circumcision as a sign of the covenant. And there, I think there are good reasons to, to apply the text in that way in certain circumstances. So in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, we read, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us, All our trespasses. And then in verse 14, he explains forgiveness further. That on the cross, Jesus bore the guilt of our sin, nailing it, Paul says, to the cross, resulting in our pardon. He paid the debt we owe due to our sin. And we are free because Christ took our sin. We are free from the legal demands of that debt. But in dying on the cross, as, as I was talking earlier with a, a Sunday school teacher about this, who is actually going to teach something very similar today, it is not only the case on the cross that Jesus took our sin and we are pardoned, but Jesus also bore 
the wrath due to our sins. He absorbed that wrath of God. He satisfied God's justness, justice, his wrathful death, his dying and taking the wrath due to us means not only is our debt of sin canceled, but God's wrath has been satisfied on our behalf, and we will never face it. Stop and think about that. We will never face the wrath of God, though we deserve it. We won't face it because of Christ and what he has done. His atoning work frees us from sin, frees us from God's wrath, and it does something else. Look at verse 15. It disarms the very powers threatening to enslave the Colossians and us. All of those philosophies that empty deceit. Christ triumphed over evil, disarmed every power and authority, and Paul's point is this, we share in Christ's victory. So let, let me just ask this question. I would hope, after just processing through this today with me, that, that you would share in, in asking this question that, 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 that you would ponder or wonder along with me. In light of all this that, that, that we've talked about, why would any, why would any professing Christian choose to be enslaved to anything that is not in accord with Christ. When in Christ we have forgiveness and victory. We must see to, we must see to it that our walk is only in Christ, a walk of forgiveness and a walk of victory. How are you and how am I walking today? Let's pray. Father, we ask you to work in our lives today, enabling us to see, even as we prayed earlier, where I, our walk may be out of accord with Christ, where we may not be seeing to it that we are basing our walk basing our doctrine, basing our ministry, basing our church, our denomination, our families only on the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would enable us to desire from the very depths of our being to know Jesus more and more, to see to it that we may quickly and readily pick out the falsehood and respond, thus says the Lord. Grow us, Father, in walking worthy 
by enable us to be, enabling us to be circumspect and not be taken captive by the bombardment of all these false religions and philosophies that are so plaguing us today and that we would walk with gratitude in the life of forgiveness and victory that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.